We're on the field now with Ryan Harris. Ryan, you're a Super Bowl champ, man. How's that feel? It's the best feeling in the world. I'm so thankful. Thank to, thanks to God, my family, everybody back home in St. Paul, Minnesota, everybody back in Denver, baby. We brought it home, baby. Woo! Talk about that game. It was a grinded out game, but that's the way you like it, don't you? Hey, you got to be, a, you got to play like a champion, and we did that today. That's been our whole year, and it takes all phases, and we got it done. How special is it to get this one for Peyton? It's special for all of us, but I think it means that's something extra for Peyton, for sure. You guys, as an offensive line, you guys went through so much this year. To, to, to reach this stage, what does that feel like? No other offensive line in the NFL has rings like ours. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Welcome to SwissCast. I am your host, Brother Suhaib Webb. This is the Super Bowl edition of SwissCast. And in order to do this right, I have invited a dear friend of mine, Brother Ryan Harris, husband, father of three, bilingual economist, political scientist, author, world-renowned speaker, you name it, mashallah, he's done it. Graduate of Notre Dame University who happened to play 10 years in the National Football League, eventually winning a Super Bowl in Super Bowl 50, mashallah. He sits down with me and we talk about a number of things as well as the Super Bowl. Swiss cast, like, love, share, write reviews. Let's jump into this interview. Assalamu alaikum rahmatullah, brother Ryan. How you doing? Alhamdulillah, ma'am. Uh, an honor to be on the Swiss cast. I've been a fan ever since uh, bro- you and brother Bashir was were walking around and talking about walking and how that helps your mind. And uh, man, may Allah bless you for all the content you create and serve on all the different platforms to we the people. Hey, I appreciate it and thank you. I have been wanting to have you on for a long time, uh, and and you're a very busy man. You have a lot going on that we're going to talk about. But I think, you know, of course, you as a professional athlete um, this week has been somewhat somber. Um, I haven't been impacted really um, in the sense of a public figure's death, of course, outside of religious public figures um, in the way that I was impacted by Kobe's death. I think since Tupac died, yeah. I, mean, I think it's been really that long in do you have any thoughts or anything you'd like to share? I know that you're a father. You know, I was impacted by his death really as a father. Um, any thoughts you have on his passing? Yeah, it was devastating, you know. Um, and I think with Kobe, it's just so sudden. And as a father, as you mentioned, you know, thinking about having to look at my daughter in the eye, hopefully they didn't see the crash coming. But hopefully I would have enough conviction in my face to convince my daughter it would be okay. And it's tough for me as well because two things I learned from Kobe Bryant that made me a world champion. Number one, never care about your opponent. You know, it's different. You know, like, you know, we as Muslims were taught to care about everyone. You know, one person is like humanity, right? But in the field of play, you cannot at all ever care about your opponent, their feelings, their want. Uh uh, doesn't matter. And I learned that from Kobe. I also learned to speak another language in the field of play. I saw him speak Italian to Sasha Vujicic one of the years that they won a championship. Well, the year we won the Super Bowl in Super Bowl 50, I'm also, alhamdulillah, I speak Spanish, and I played next to two players who spoke Spanish. So instead of saying things that would give the defense a tip, we would speak Spanish. And I learned that from Kobe Bryant. And so those two things 
helped make me a champion. And, and just to know that he had that influence on me uh, as a football player. I mean, you, you know, and also at, coming from Notre Dame, Arike Ogobumwale, she hit two buzzer beaters to go to the finals and then en- end up winning the national championship. Mm-hmm. Well, in between those games, Kobe Bryant tweeted at her, you know, great job. And she was so impressed. And then later after the national championship, Kobe came to meet her on the Ellen show and just shows you the reach he had. And we won't know the impact on the loss of Kobe Bryant and his daughter on women's basketball, because think about Kobe Bryant's daughter, Mambasita, you know, lighting it up and winning three national championships at UConn and then going to the WNBA and what that looks like and what that would be like. And you think about also, he's got a seven month old, that seven month old and really the three, three year old that they've got, they're not going to know not only their father, but also their sister. They're going to yeah. grow up being told, you know, hey, you had a sister and she was mm. like this and she was like that. Mm. And you think about that. And those are the things that brought me to tears, just deep sadness. And for everyone who's gone through a sudden loss. Yeah, I got an eight month old, man. So yeah, that really hit me, um, you know, really hit me hard. And it, it, it really I reached out to my other children, my grown children, and just kind of bonded with them in a more. Um, not a reactionary way, but in a more meaningful way, because you just don't know, right? Yeah. Our time is limited. And I was reading actually in your book, you know, where you say, you know, am I using my time to improve what I love? Right. And what I want to accomplish. And that's a tough question to ask, man. And yeah. you know, I just sent, yesterday on the train, I was waiting on the subway and it was empty. It was about 1150 at night. So it was, there was no one on the subway, unfortunately, except homeless people. And, you know, just looking around and I just sent my kids a video message. They're overseas in Malaysia. Hey, I'm proud of you. I love you. One of them wants to get into aviation. The other wants to be a veterinarian and telling the one who wants to be a veterinarian, you have a, all my, my family on my mother's side were farmers, man. So I said, yeah. you've got that, you've got that DNA in you. Right. Yeah. But it, it really did bring things death as the prophet Muhammad said, peace be upon him is really. You know, it brings focus in when there's false hope, death really kind of windexes all that off the, the lens of the heart, right? And gives us like yeah. that insight. And it's and and I think, you know, being Muslim, uh, you know, I, I, I'm conscious of death, right? I think we're all conscious as Muslims of death as mm. a reality. But the suddenness of it definitely oh, makes man. you more intentional. And and especially in an age where I mean studies show ch- kids and and people feel more alone than ever before in our history as a species. And and a video that I've learned in broadcasting, when you send a video, instead of a happy birthday text, you send a video, it lands with 100% more engagement, 100% more engagement than if you send a text, if you send a video. So sending videos to our loved ones really makes a difference. And, and think about it, every video you've been sent by a loved one, you've opened and smiled, you mm. know, and if we can create that, I mean, we know as Muslims, you know, that's Sadaqah. All right. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. All right. Let's let's talk a little bit about who you are. Brother Ryan Harris, someone I've known for a while. We've broken bread together. Uh, We've had some interesting adventures. Yes. (laughs) We've had some adventures that, you know, certainly fall on the on the on the periphery of interesting. But if you can give people a little bit of background about yourself, that'd be great. Yeah, alhamdulillah, you know, uh, I came to Islam when I was 14 years old uh, and really learned uh, as the way, and and I'm always on a journey as a Muslim, but, uh, and really understood, you know, I first started with a Teach Yourself Islam book, 
I mm. swear it's pro- propaganda. I got it at Barnes and Noble, and uh, and it had like 95 pages. It didn't talk about breaking voodoo. It didn't talk about you know um, any types of the manners and it's really the things that make us Muslim. But Alhamdulillah, I had a good teacher who I met because I had an Allah chain on that I got at the Piercing Pagoda. And he was like, do you know what that chain means? And I was like, I do, but I need help. Like, teach me, teach me. You know, I'm the only Muslim in my family. But, you know, alhamdulillah, being Muslim has been amazing for me. And, and from high school in Minnesota, uh, I went to the University of Notre Dame, which interestingly is one of the largest Catholic universities, also has one of the longest running Muslim student associations. Yeah. And was the only school out of Michigan, Miami, Stanford, and USC, the only school that took me to a mosque on my official visit. Notre Dame started my visit by taking me to a mosque and saying, hey, we have a mosque here. We just wanted to show you it. And one of our women's basketball coaches is Muslim. So we want to introduce you and let you know that you can be a better, you know, you can be a Muslim here. And we want that as a part of, of our family here at Notre Dame. And, and so being at Notre Dame, I really became a better Muslim. Wow. And I needed to because wow. where I was going in the NFL, uh, you know, I needed to be confident in, in what I believed and to continue to grow. So you embraced Islam in high school. Yeah, with junior high. Yeah, I was 14. Uh, 14 I've been searching. I grew up in the Unitarian Universalist Church, and the best way to explain that is just come. You know, they'll, they'll talk about love, and they'll say, well, Rumi wrote about love in this way. Mm. And and the Torah says love is this, and Jesus said love is that. And so it's a lesson on love and, and enjoyment. And so at 14, you have to write a faith statement. And I knew I believed in God. I couldn't take that leap that Jesus was also God. And in my social studies class in eighth grade, they played a world religions video, and I may have fallen asleep, Imam. I don't know for sure, but uh, I woke up, and I swear it must have been two minutes on Islam. These the Muslims believe in one God, that Jesus was a prophet, and they believe in Moses and Abraham, and they pray five times a day, and it just felt like my heart was unzipped, like just everything I had believed was right in front of me. And from that moment on, my love for Allah has never has never gone away. That's incredible, and and again. On your visitation, Notre Dame took you to a masjid. First thing they did. Absolutely. Wow. And I became a better Muslim at Notre Dame. They have 330 masses per week on campus. Wow. You know, so now praying five times a day, seven days a week, 35 times, you're like, okay, you know, not everybody's not going to all of them, right? But just being around that dean, right? Being around that commitment and the permission, which even today, you know, whether you're Muslim or not, we, I, I really believe that we fight for permission to believe in what we do and, mm-hmm. and to mm-hmm. be able to say, I'm a broadcaster, I'm a Super Bowl champion, and I'm a Muslim. And if you have a problem with any of those things, that's your problem. To be able wow. to walk with faith was such a lesson I learned at Notre Dame. And I also learned the, the, the ability of people who are different than you to still produce and to be in a wonderful environment that, that sponsors learning and encourages diversity and celebration. And that's who we really are at the end of the day. If we've got too many walls, it's because we're too comfortable. Since the Muslim ban here at NYU, every Juma there is a group of Jewish brothers and sisters who have signs that say, Assalamu alaikum, Shalom, wow. every Friday since the Muslim ban. Alhamdulillah. Every and Friday, that's, man. And that's our history as well. Our history mm-hmm. in Spain, our history in America as Muslims, our history all over the world is people are going to be different than us, you know, and how we live together, you know, will be determined afterwards what happens with us. But we have to understand, you know, what do we want? Our, what do we want our children to say? You know, what do, I think about what do I want my Christian friends and their student 
to tell their kids about Muslims. Well, mm. I better be willing to tell my kids about Christians the same exact things I want them to say about Muslims. You know, they're good mm -hmm. people. They have different beliefs than us. There's bad people everywhere of every kind. But, you know, and just because somebody is X, Y, Z does not make them an enemy. And if we can't tell our kids this, how can we expect anyone to teach their kids about Muslims and Islam in a way that protects us and allows us all to live together? Mm. And what did you study at uh, Notre Dame? So I double majored in political science and economics and policy. So Ooh. I don't like wasting my time, man. Alhamdulillah. <laughs> and I take it you balled out. Hey, alhamdulillah, you know, balled out and didn't care. You know, uh, I wanted to go home my first night at, 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 at Notre Dame. I called my mom. I said, I'm coming home. And my mom said, you're staying for a year. And she hung up the phone. And I was like, <laughs> you know, I was like at a loss. Like my mom ain't never dropped, hung up the phone on me. I got in a fight in the snack line of all places. I know I'm a lineman, but I yeah. just didn't feel, I didn't feel appreciated. I didn't feel worthy. I didn't, I had a lot of self-doubt and everything was playing into that. And I really had to choose my mindset and say, if I'm, if I am here, I belong. And mm. I put my foot down and I literally started placing one foot in front of the other. I visualized success on the practice field, which turned into success on the field, alhamdulillah, and, uh, and I never looked back. You know, Kobe talked about the greatest fear that people tend to have is the fear which actually is in themselves. It's, yes. it's an assumed existential crisis, but really it's just a mask for like acute insecurities. What, 100%. what helped you overcome, you know, there's a lot of young Muslims who listen to this show that are on college campuses. We have a lot of Muslim athletes what yeah. what was kind of the the point where you were able to overcome those insecurities in college and just say, you know what, I'm just going to ball out. I'm going to handle it. Yeah, well, I, I use the words I am, I can, I will. And they yeah. are extremely powerful. And as Muslims, we say, inshallah, right? Mm -hmm. uh, after I will. But I mean, I had to tell myself that after I literally got knocked out of my shoe in practice as a freshman at Notre Dame, hey, I am good enough to be here. I can learn how to play. I will beat this player in a drill. I also had to say that the night before the Super Bowl. I am wow. terrified that my greatest achievement will be my greatest failure if we lose this game. Mm. And, and I had to also tell myself, I am a champion. I can go out and prove it tomorrow. I will have a blast doing it. And, and to me, you have to have a process because there are going to be doubts. There are going to be situations you're going to be in. And that's how you know you're growing. So, he, man, if we, you and I go to uh, our fa to get some ice cream and we each get our favorite ice cream flavor, we don't doubt ourselves there, right? Because mm. we know that what to expect and we know the experience. But the only time those doubts come in, I got a lot of peace from knowing that thought, every thought isn't real. And the fact that this now means if I'm nervous, if I think I'm going to give up a sack in a game, if I feel like I got to study more, that means I'm in a place of growth. And that's where I want to be. Mm -hmm. So I embrace that. And every athlete you've seen perform, performs with fear i'm sure for you imam every time you get up for a chutbah or a halakha there's a fear that maybe something will be said or misinterpreted but you go do it anyways and that's mm -hmm. how you know you're in that space you want to be yeah and and for people listening let's talk about your book mindset for mastery that's actually the first chapter right what you're kind of quoting to us now i am i can i will um it's a really really inspirational book i didn't know you wrote a book i got it in the mail and i was like oh wow ryan harris wrote a book <laughs> and but, i learned to read two weeks before i wrote it, it stop crazy, it man. stop it man. <laughs> an nfl champion's guide to reaching your greatness um what was it like being drafted oh man there's is the moment that i felt like god just touched me and said here you go it was just such an amazing moment 
Um, I didn't get drafted where I wanted to, and I was actually on my way to go get some ice cream, you know what I'm saying, <laughs> to kind of – because I had this neighbor that came in who I'd never met before. I mean, when you make it to the NFL, you meet people who say they've known you who you've never met before. And my neighbor, who I'd never met before, kept coming in and out of the house, like, did anything happen yet? Did anything happen? Like, no, I didn't get drafted. If you come in this house again, I'm going to lose my mind. So I had to leave, and right when I left, I got the call. And I didn't know anything about Denver. And, and what I love pr- pointing out about the draft moment so many times we want to be comfortable where we're at. We want success to happen where we're at. Mm. But I wouldn't have been in the NFL if I chose to stay in St. Paul, Minnesota. Like I had to move. Every player who gets drafted in every sport, they are willing to go find success wherever the call comes from. I would have went. I was just thinking, please not Buffalo. Please not Buffalo. You know, that's cold up there. But so many times we want success to happen to us, for us, where we are. But you've got to be willing to move. I mean, uh, you know, the Prophet ﷺ is a perfect example of that. Mm. You know, the Prophet was willing, peace be upon him, to leave Medina and uh, leave Mecca, you know, to mm-hmm. go to Medina. And that's, and we lose those little things in the stories about success, about, about strength, is you have to be willing and have this higher willingness. And, and you went with a number of teams over, I think, a nine-year career, correct? Ten years, four Ten teams. Years. Yep, yep. Got fired from one and got came back and won a championship with the Broncos. So wow, yeah, it was a it was a definite journey. What teams were you with? So I got drafted by the Broncos in '07. Uh, I got released in in '11 uh, because I was unwilling and a bit arrogant. And at the time, it was the most embarrassing thing that ever happened to me. And to this day, it's one of the greatest things that ever happened to me. Mm-hmm. And I learned from there. Why do you say that? that? I, Sorry to cut you, you know, off. I, Why do you say I that? was a because I was unwilling and I was arrogant. I had a new coach who wanted me to do new things. And I was like, nah, I'm good. I got a nice house. I got a good car. Like, I'm chilling. You know, like, I know how to play football. Don't coach me. Well, they mm. fired me. And because of that, I was just shocked out of my own comfort. And when I went to Houston uh, the next day, I said, man, I will do anything I can. I can stay later. I can ask more questions. I can lift more weights. I can tell. I can recognize distractions. I mean, that was a big part of it, too. You know, in Denver, after four years playing for the Broncos, I had a lot of people that just wanted my time that weren't weren't contributing to my success. Mm-hmm. And learning how to recognize distractions is huge. We we know that during Ramadan, right? Mm-hmm. But recognize, learning how to recognize distractions is huge. And I found this deep willingness and ability to choose my mindset, and it created all, everything I wanted, alhamdulillah, on the other side. And And what advice would you give to, you know, there is, especially with this kind of the Internet world that we live in now, more so the Instagram world, where we see the images of athletes that are like probably like the top 10 percent of society right and it creates Mm -hmm. kind of a sadness in people you know they're saying now there are forms of psychosis associated with people who like look at instagram regularly uh there was a young girl i don't know if you heard about her i think she was a brown a lacrosse player she was an espn she killed herself um you know a beautiful girl full scholarship to brown uh, an excellent athlete, but was looking at the gram so much that she wrote, like, I, I don't, I'm not that. I don't, I don't reach where society is. What, what piece of advice would you give to young athletes, Muslim athletes? Number one is the discipline and effort that needs to be put into it and the talent, right? And then yeah. number two is, how did you protect yourself from the dangers of fame? Because fame is no joke, man. Oh, no. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's what I would ask somebody. I, I ask people this all the time. Are you doing it for the fame or the game? Mm. Let me tell you something. If you're gonna if you're gonna try and do something to be famous, you might get there and you might do that, and it will not last. 
and it will have damaging repercussions because all of your um, accolades are external. You, if you need external affirmation, you're going to fail eventually because no one's going to be there. Well, I, I had internal issues. I wanted internally to be the best, and I wanted the game. And if you choose the game, you choose the love of whatever craft you're going to, it'll bring you fame you couldn't have dreamed of, you mm. know? And, and you'll know what to do with it then because it doesn't matter. You think Peyton Manning was checking his Instagram likes before we went on to the Super Bowl field at, at all? No, mm. he didn't care who likes him or not. And that's what I love about being – a champion you learn it doesn't matter what you think about me I, I don't care if we went against each other if we were friends what you think about me and what i'm doing i'm going where i want to go inshallah and mm. if you're not going to be a part of it it ain't my problem it's not for you it's not for other people so you got to ask yourself you're doing it for the fame or the game and the fame will get you every time i've noticed that successful people and i'm talking about here religiously aligned successful people okay uh, outside of religiously aligned successful people, I've seen this as well. But religious people that I know, whether Muslim, Christian, or whatever, they have this ability to almost kind of be reclusive in the sense that they're so focused. Like you said, yeah. they're just, we call it in the zone, right? In the zone. And if they know that what they're doing is right and they love it, it's like nothing can stop them, man, inshallah. Yeah. yeah. I mean, think about this. There are 1,600 players in the NFL this season. Only 53 will become champions. Mm. Do, they, do they have different cleats than everybody else? Do they play with a different football? No. They have a different level of commitment, not only to themselves and their craft, but to each other. Mm. And that's how you win, right? And at the end of the day, you know, I've been on teams where guys didn't care about winning. And that was a shock to me because I do. I cared about winning. I wanted to be a champion. Mm. And they made me feel like an outsider because I wouldn't go out on a Thursday and a Friday night. Oh, by the way, we play on Sunday because I wouldn't, you know, gamble on the planes instead of reading a book. That's what, not everybody around you is worth your time and not everybody around you, even in your environment, whether that's law or accounting or teaching or sports, not everybody wants to be great. And when you want to be great, you're going to scare the crap out of them because you mm. prove their comfort. You show them where they can improve and they don't want to see that. And so you may get the worst comments, you may get X, Y, or Z, but you've got to stay with your belief and what your commitment is to. And at that point, you can't be stopped. Mm, mm. Yeah, nothing makes people angry like their own insecurities. Yeah. And, and, and great it, people pull it out of them. Absolutely. Because if, if you and I are running next to each other and you're like, hey, Ryan, let's slow up. I'm like, hey, man, we got five more. And I just leave without you responding. You're stuck. Not only seeing me continue, but now you know, I know you wanted to quit. Mm. People don't like that. You know, people mm. don't like that. Oh, I, I wanted to quit. And now they know. And now, well, now I'm mad at them because they didn't quit with me. Mm. Man, I ain't living in that world. That ain't mine. That's yours. All right. Before we get into the Super Bowl episode, man, let me ask you a question. How did it feel to win a Super Bowl? Alhamdulillah, man. It was a moment where everything I believed about myself came true for other people. And I want people to have that moment in their life. The year before the Super Bowl season, the Kansas City Chiefs started 15 out of the 16 games for them, missed only the, the, the opening game. After the season, they said, Ryan, you have no football left. I chose they were wrong. And to work through everyone who doubted, not, and not for them, but to just have kept my belief that I can be a champion. I'm training for a championship. 
I'm training because this is going to matter in the moments when someone else doubts himself and I'm just going to go for it. Mm. To have to have held on to that belief through everyone else's doubt, through at that time four different surgeries, three of them on my back alone. Like I was just so happy for myself. I was so thankful to God. I was so happy for myself that I had maintained my belief in my best self and I worked in the work that I was doing. And now everybody knows when they see my ring that I know how to work hard. They know I'm a valuable team member. They know I know how to focus. And these are all things I knew about myself before other people did. And now people do. It was the greatest, most life-changing moment I've ever been a part of uh, outside of being married and my three children. MashaAllah. And how's the Muslim fraternity in the professional sports scene? Like when you were out there, you know, doing what you did, was it like, Wow. Sorry. Assalamu alaikum, Mark. Or was it just like, oh, assalamu alaikum, you after the fourth quarter? <laughs> well, you know, uh, you know, Hussein Abdullah and Hamza Abdullah are the only two that I could come after. And uh, I believe it was Hussein Abdullah. Uh, we had a play and and uh, and he ended up having a different responsibility. So he was like on the other side of the field. But I was on the field like, hey, man, you so afraid. You lined up on the other side of the field. I don't even, you know, catch the ball. And he's just kind of looking at me like, what are you doing, you know? <laughs> but what's amazing, you talk about the brotherhood. There was only there was only one year in my 10-year NFL career where I didn't have a Muslim teammate. Allahu Akbar. One year. When I was with the Chiefs, alhamdulillah, we had Juma in the team facility because we had a Muslim in the front office. We had two Muslims in the front office, and we had a Muslim player in addition, you know, Hussein Abdullah and myself. Hamza Abdullah, uh, when I first came to the NFL, listen, you got a lot of money and you're young. And the people who are young and, and not Muslim and with a lot of money, they're doing different stuff. And he literally showed me where the mosque was, you know. So um, I've had that, Muslim bro. teammates my almost my entire career. And and that's what's amazing about not just football, but every profession, right? We have Muslim doctors, lawyers, teachers, accountants, you name it. There's a Muslim doing it here in America. Mm-hmm. Um, but to be Muslim and to go into the NFL, that was definitely something where I wondered about. And I didn't have to wonder for long because, like I said, only one year in 10 years did I not have a Muslim teammate. Allahu Akbar. Allah All right. Akbar. Are you ready? Super ready. Bowl, Super Bowl 54, man. Yeah. Mm. I'm going to ask you some questions about, you know, different aspects of the game. But before I do that, can you give us kind of a synopsis of Super Bowl 54? How are you feeling about it? Yeah, we're going to see the two best quarterbacks the NFL has. I mean, literally one that led the entire NFC and Jimmy Garoppolo in passing yards, and then in Patrick Mahomes led the entire NFL in passing yards. You're going to see one of the best defenses from San Francisco against a defense that has improved as of late with Kansas City. And with the experience of both head coaches having lost a Super Bowl, mm-hmm. um, you know, Kyle Shanahan being most the most recent it's going to be an intense, competitive game with the best quarterbacks that you've seen all season. Man, what's up with the Shanahan DNA, man? Hey, you know, I mean, I, I told my son, because, you know, this, this debate on who you should cheer for. I said, listen, son, the man who's coaching the 49ers, his father was, my, was the reason why I was brought to Denver and met your mother. Could you possibly cheer against that man? You know, <laughs> but they, you know, it's innovation. You That's know, a they, treason. That's treason. You know, I, I mean, I lay it on hard at our house. You, you got to be committed. You know what I'm saying? We are committed in the Harris household. I think. But, um, I think we've got your prediction now. Yeah. Well, you know. Yeah. Right. But you know, it's what's interesting about the Shanahan family is both father and son 
took basic constructs and looked for improvement, found improvement on the margins. Mm. One of the things you'll see in San Francisco is typically a tackle and a tight end will work together to, to run a run play yeah. right to the wide side. But he'll do it with a fullback and a tight end and have the offensive line going the other way. So wow. he plays on the tendencies of a defense and the rules of a defense to beat the defense, and it's fascinating to watch. Man, so let's let's break it down. Let's talk about passing game. Who you give the yeah. advantage to? You know, I really give the advantage to uh, the Chiefs in the passing game. You know, Tyreek Hill, the player, oh man, uh, is Stretches one of the fastest the players. Oh man, I mean, this just there's vapors that come off the field when he's running. And then Travis Kelsey, a, a former teammate, when we were teammates in Kansas City, he called me Abu Dhabi because I was Muslim. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and we had a handshake. Uh, and he's also a hooper, like you were. So he so. Um, so he was in AAU with the Plumley brothers who ended up playing wow. at Dukes. So he's an incredible athlete. Um, so offensively, weapon-wise, in addition to pa uh, Patrick Mahomes, they've got some speed, and speed wins in the NFL. Because at the end of the day, no matter how good you are, if you can't catch up and be there, they'll be gone. And um, height. Right? Yeah, and height, yeah. yeah but you got to watch. Man. One of my favorite players is Debo Samuels uh, for the San Francisco 49ers. He's, he's a great rookie wide receiver, um, but he doesn't have the experience that the, the players for the Chiefs have. So the passing game benefit goes to the Chiefs because of Patrick Mahomes and the two experienced pass catchers. But look out for Emmanuel Sanders and Debo Sanders. But watch number 85. If you don't really know football, watch number 85 for the San Francisco 49ers, George Kittle. He's a tight end that does amazing things with his mind, body, and, and performance. And if you just watch number 85, you'll have a fun time watching the game. Mm. Next question. Garoppolo, why have they kind of shut his passing game down the last few uh, few outings? There's been some criticism. You're, absolutely. And criticize, criticize, criticize. Because you know what you didn't see? The plays they wanted to run. There's a mm. saying in boxing, the best punch is the one you don't throw. Mm. And I can tell you from playing against the best defensive ends, they don't pull out their best moves until they got to have it. Well, if they're rushing for 200 yards, why would San Francisco show you what they're thinking in their passing game? Absolutely doubt our quarterback because we didn't run passing concepts that we wanted the last two games because we didn't have to. So and if you think we doubt our quarterback, you've got the wrong team and the wrong guy. So they ran the rope-a-dope, basically. Oh, 100%. And mm. all you need to say about Jimmy Garoppolo is, remember, this is the player that Bill Belichick wanted to t trade Tom Brady for. Mm-hmm. Bill Belichick wanted to trade Tom Brady because he thought Jimmy Garoppolo was that good. The future. The future. That's all mm -hmm. you got to say. So so then this was this was some stuff out of like the art of war, man. 100%. We're not going to show you our hand. Wow. No, 100%. And you're going to see, I bet you they start the game with five straight passes if you're San Francisco. Because mm -hmm. Kansas City's not preparing for it. They're thinking about Raheem Mostert and his 200 yards right. in that run game. You got them thinking thinking one way, you go the other. That's that Kansas City shuffle. <laughs> I know Kansas City fried steak, bro. Uh, <laughs> rushing, the advantage. Advantage San Francisco, 100%. Mm. And, because of you Raheem. Know, because of Raheem Moore, yeah. And, you know, it's funny, too. You, you'll get some Muslim names in the NFL. I've been in the middle of a play, be like, yo, man, you Muslim? Nah, man, but my brother is. Or nah, man, but my dad is. Or nah, I mean, that's, that's, those, those conversations happen even uh, wow. in the game in the wow. NFL. Wow. Uh, wow. So, you know, like as, as I hear Raheem Mostert, I'm like, is this dude Muslim? What we got mm -hmm. here, you know? Um, but he's one of the best running backs. And listen to this t tale of perseverance. He was cut 
seven times before this season. Wow. He only carried the ball eight total times in his previous three seasons until this season. Like, do you have enough in your tank to say, fire me four to seven times, I'm coming back in eight? Give me, you know? 220 rushing yards on 29 carries, four you know? rushing TDs. But he I didn't know that. Himself. I didn't know and, what and, you said. Wow. And, and try going against somebody with that much confidence and belief in himself. You Ooh. know what I'm saying? Like, mm. just, and, and that's when people want to talk about Raheem Mostert. I'm like, yeah, and that's not the story. The story is he got fired seven times and still believed in himself. And every game, he puts the dates that he was released and cut in his locker just to remind him of how many times teams told him he wasn't a running back that was good enough for their team. And here he is starting in the Super Bowl. So he's hungry. He's thirsty. He is starving, mm. and he's ready to eat. He's ready for iftar. Iftar, yeah. He's, he's at that like he's at that point where you're checking what clock it is. You know, are we going with Saudi or we going with the American Islamic Council? What are we doing, man? Bring the They're dates. Checking the apps. Yeah, Bring me the yeah. dates. Yeah. All right. Secondary. Secondary, the benefit 100% is on the San Francisco 49ers. Ooh. You know, no one's had more interceptions in the in the postseason than Richard Sherman since he got in the NFL. They do run a zone scheme, uh, but they can do that because of their pass rush. So their secondary by far is, is better than uh, the Chiefs secondary. You don't no think question. that zone scheme will get exploited? You know, it might, but one of the things about the zone scheme is it's also a zone mindset. So that mindset is... We're going to give some things up. We're going to allow – there's going to be some plays made. But those players are, are, are experienced in allowing things to happen and preventing a touchdown. That's mm. a different kind of cat. That's like a boxer who can take a certain type of punch, sees it coming, takes the punch so they can throw their counter punch. I mean, that's what you're dealing with with a zone defense. And Richard Sherman's one of the best in the business. Oh, man. Shuts down half the field. He reminds yeah. me of, uh, of uh, your boy, man, from back in the days. Uh, the yeah, Dallas Cowboys. Uh, what's his name, man? Deion Sanders. Deion Sanders. Neon Deion, man. Shutting yeah. down, shutting down the side of the field. Well, and zone players on defense are typically smarter because they have to diagnose the play and the route concepts of the receivers. So they're a more intelligent, quicker player usually when you're dealing with the zone defense. Mm. All right, front seven. That goes. That goes to you know. This is the closest matchup that it is, but it goes to. Uh, the 49ers. Now, one of my guys at the Chiefs, Larry Durant Tardif, number 76, watch him. He's actually a doctor who got his doctoring degree while in the NFL because he's from Canada. He went right from college, high school to college, started early to become a doctor, is also an MD. And they, the NFL won't let him put that on his jersey. But you got uh, the offensive line for San Francisco 49ers. And for those who don't know, that's the people in front of the quarterback. Those mm -hmm. are some great guys. And their left tackle is a player who I got drafted the same year as. And uh, and he's a good buddy of mine, Joe Staley, as well as their right tackle, Mike McGlinchey. And then their center, Ben Garland, played for the Air Force Academy and then had to serve in the Air Force while also playing for the Denver Broncos mm. and got cut three times by three different teams and is now starting in the Super Bowl for the 49ers. What about Bosa? Bosa's on that defensive line. And that defensive line, that's the that edge of San Francisco all day. So you're giving the edge on defense to, to San Francisco? Offensive and defensive lines are mm. San Francisco. One of the things about Nick Bosa, too, is and if anybody's playing football, whether you're a lineman or receiver, you got to take martial arts. It is hand-to-hand -hand combat when you're in that space. Everybody's mm. big, everybody's strong, but how can you get someone's hands off of you? It's not about putting your hands on somebody in the NFL. 
How do you get him off of you? And how quick can you do it? And Nick Bosa has some of the best handwork when I watch the film out of any defensive end in the NFL, let alone a rookie. Oh, man. Yeah, he's he's a beast. Coaching. Andy Reid's the smartest offensive coach I've ever been around. And in the moments where it matters most, he is not his best. And that's why I give the, the nod to the man who is the son of the man who brought me to Denver, Kyle Shanahan, for the San Francisco 49ers. He talked wow. about that loss. And part of it's because two years ago when the Patriots were, were down 28-3, to he talked about how he called the wrong play. And anybody willing to talk about their past failures to me is someone who has got who's come to peace with it. And it's not going to affect them moving forward while also informing them moving forward. And that's why I really like Kyle Shanahan in this game. So give us a final score. 27-25 49ers. Whoa. Okay. So yeah. that family DNA is there. As you said to your son. Yeah, you're here it's gonna because be of this family. <laughs> hey, hey, you know, Allah, because of Allah and the Shanahan's. You know what I'm saying? Allah and the Shanahan's. That's the that's it. You know, uh, but I mean, really, and I think you'll see San Francisco jump to an early lead, and Kansas City try and come back. But at the end of the day, those defensive and offensive lines are going to be too much for. They've been too much for everybody to handle. So you don't think Mahomes will be able to pull them out of a deficit because of that defense of San Francisco? And, and it's hard to say it, but I just think it, it's a total all-around team in San Francisco, and everything in Kansas City hinges on one player. And that's that's a tough thing to go for, to either you're going against a team or you're going against a player, and the 49ers are the team going against the player, Patrick Mahomes. So let me ask you a question. If I'm Richard Sherman, right, which obviously I'm not, <laughs> am I more worried about Tarek Hill or Mahomes, like how do you think about two great athletes at once, or do you hone in on one athlete and make sure that, like, systemically, I'm going to shut this guy down so that it throws a wrench in everything else, right? Because it is kind of like yeah. clock, like cogs in a clock. You all are all working together. Yeah, neither. The answer is neither. Mm. You don't worry about anybody. You just worry about what you. You don't even worry about it. You celebrate what you have the opportunity to go do. You just cut and me. If you're rich, yeah. If Richard, if Richard Sherman, <laughs> yeah, got you. You know what I mean? I got you. If 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 hey, if it's if it's going to be Tyreek Hill, and that's one of the things you know, Mike Shanahan taught me. Say, hey guys, don't look at the don't look at the player. Look at the number. Doesn't matter who that player is. Don't get lost in that. Mm. What, what's your responsibility? Hey, if it's number at 15, 10, or seven, whoever's coming in my area is getting got. It don't matter who it is. Mm. Anybody can get smoke. You know what I'm saying? And right. That's the mentality you have to have. And Richard Sherman, the world champion, knows that. It's not wow. about. Tyreek Hill. It's not about what Patrick Mahomes can do. They're great because they're in this game, but they ain't played me yet. And you ain't. And if you're going to come into my space, you're going to deal with me. And that's a total different mindset. And that's what helps you succeed, whether it's in the overtime, first quarter, fourth quarter. You stay in your space. And if somebody dares come in your space in the football field, look out. Wow, you cut me. My pro career lasted about one minute there. <laughs> no, um, hey man, let's get my papers. I, as I ran, I ran Travis Kelsey underneath because you're so focused on on Tyreek Hill and Patrick Mahomes. I threw that, I threw him underneath on you. I found you on film. <laughs> hey, that's amazing. One, 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 one more question before we before we let you go. And I know you're, I know you're at the Super Bowl right now. Like you're, yeah. you're busy. Um, hey man, broadcast season. Hey, what is that one thing that people like me? Right, we don't pay attention to when we're watching these games that we should be paying attention to that you all know about. For you guys, it's just like, hey, we all know about this, but the people that watch, the fans, 
This is something that they should pay attention to, but they never pay attention to. I love that you asked this question, and it is so easy to say. Failure. Watch the failure that happens early in the game. Mm. And watch the great players, the teams that the team, because both teams are going to have mistakes. Players are going to fail in this game coming up. But watch how they handle that failure. There is failure all across every game. And you're not going to see Patrick Mahomes or Jimmy Garoppolo leave because they threw an interception. Watch the failure and watch what that player does afterwards. That's what I watch. And that's what champions watch. Because it's Mm. not about whether you make a mistake. You're going to do that whether you're a football player or a Muslim. We understand this, right? Mm. (laughs) You know, there are going to Mm -hmm. be mistakes. Mm -hmm. What do you do after that mistake? How long do you allow that mistake to stay with you? And from there... That's how you become a champion. So watch the failure on mm, Sunday. Mm, mm, mm. And what do you look for if you're on the field and you see someone fail on the opposing team? I get the sense almost like it's a shark with blood in the water. Oh, 100%. You're looking for something. What are you looking for? I'm looking for, you know, when I was playing, man, I'll tell you what. I just want, I wanted the opportunity. I was looking for your head to be down. I was looking for the moment where you wouldn't look mm. me in the eye. I was looking for the moment when you were looking around when you knew your job was to try and get around me. And the moment that I saw a flutter of focus, I knew I had you. And I was going to prove it again and again and again and again until you either took yourself out or time ran off. And that's the difference between champions and people who like to play a game. Allahu Akbar. All right. Before we let you go, let's talk about a few things. Tell people about the book real quick. The book is extremely, extremely um, motivating. But it's not just motivating in a sense of kind of like that cheesy, you know, wow, I feel good. It actually gets into you. Like I said, when I read the part about, you know, you, you need to be giving time to what you love. Yeah. Uh, it, it also forces people to ask really serious questions. Mindset for Mastery is the book. Can you give us a little background? Yeah. You know, I wanted to write that book because, you know, we talk about failure less than we talk about sex. And everybody fails. And I talk about my failures in that book and how I worked out of them. So that hopefully someone who I can't speak to, or I can't touch, or I can't reach and have a conversation with knows to keep going, that knows that failure is a part of the road to success. And if you've ever failed or if you've ever wanted to reach a great goal, I believe in you. And I, I want and this book is I wrote this book on how I did it. And I can't wait to hear how you do it. Mashallah. What, what are you going to be doing in the off season? I know sometimes I see you around doing seminars and speaking and sharing your story and then a strategy for motivation. What are you going to be up to in the off season? Yeah, so I do uh, a lot of speaking. Uh, alhamdulillah, you know, an international speaker, uh, thanks to ICNA, you know what I'm saying? But, right. uh, uh, but I'll, I'll be doing some um, speeches for, I do companies, speeches for companies on mindset, leadership, and teamwork. And I'm big on financial literacy as well. So I've done some things with Bank of America, Chase for Business. Uh, I'll be doing an event in Boston in April uh, for Imana, which is an Islamic Medical Association of North America. And they really do some great work. And I'm doing some other speeches for Muslim schools and and uh, conferences. But I'll be speaking and I'll be I'll be chilling. Imam, hey, ma'am, I need to get to the beach. You know what I'm saying? So uh, <laughs> so I'm big. Hey, work hard, rest hard. And I'm going to spend quality family time and and work on my Speedo vibes, you know? <laughs> All right. Hey, any parting words of advice or thoughts for the people who listen to SwissCast before we let you go? Hey, I love you, whoever's listening. I know Imam Sahib loves you. Uh, You're a part of a community of people who we don't always see each other, but you matter. You matter not only to the people in your life, 
but no doubt somebody looks up to you and whatever you're going through, you can get through it. You know, believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and believe in your ability as well. Believe mm. in your ability just a, just as li- just about an inch lower than you believe in Allah and, and let Allah shine over you. And while you believe in yourself to accomplish your dreams. Beautiful, beautiful, man. Thank you so much. Ryan Harris, former NFL player, continued scholar. You know, your education stays with you wherever you go. Uh, hey, trying listening to you, listening to the Swiss cast, and, <laughs> and and thank you, Imam, seriously. I mean, you really, you know, it's funny. I, I did Snapchat, and I left Snapchat, and you, you were on Snapchat. I got the Instagram, and you were on Instagram, and now you're on the Swiss cast podcast when I went to podcast. So <laughs> thank you for your never-ending effort to speak to me and to others like me. I love you for that, and may Allah bless you forever. And, for and I appreciate you because every once in a while, I'll put something out, and I'll get this text from you out of nowhere, and you're like, man— I was able to share this with the people around me. And I don't think people realize, you know, we definitely want to be in a place where we don't care what people think in the sense we don't want to be narcissists, but like when we're doing something right. When I'm changing my daughter's diapers at Costco, I do not care what people think. (laughs) No. Right? No. Because that's what I got to do. But it is still uh, reassuring. And I wanted to let you know, I appreciate that from time to time when someone just sends you nice words and says, hey, man. And I get that from you. I think every four or five months I get this. Hey, this is Ryan. I open it up. Hey, man, that was really on, on point. I was able to share it with people. Thank you. So I want to thank you for that, man. Uh, yeah, I really man. appreciate that. Well, you make an impact. And, and sometimes when we create, we don't know the impact. But you have a profound impact on me and uh, and I'm sure thousands of others. And we thank you, brother. I can say the same for you. Thank you for being on SwissCast, man. We love you. And let's try to get you back in the future. And talk about some other things, inshallah. Inshallah. Assalamu alaikum, man. Thank you. Assalamu alaikum. Right, you still there? Still got it. Yeah. Did I sound? Did I sound like I knew half about what I was talking about? Heck yeah, man. Uh, yeah. I was, heck I was a little. Yeah, man. <laughs> I was like, You're I, doing it. I haven't played offensive tackle since my sophomore year in high school, bro. So it's hey, been man. a minute. So hey, like, you got it, bro. You got like, it. Let me man. just ask him these questions about you know the different <laughs> sets. Uh, you know. And, uh, uh, you know, we'll see. I'm sure there's a lot of Palestinians in Kansas City, man. They're going to tear me up, man. Hey, man. But you know what? You know, I, I, we, when you give people a reason why, they can't be upset. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> they can't be upset. And my dad, know? I beat you for this reason. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know? So, hey, you know, you give them a reason, they got something to go on, man. So, Brother, I don't want to hey, keep you from the beach. I know it's almost sunset down there. And yeah, uh, But thank you, man. I really appreciate you being on. Hey, man, I love you, ma'am, and thank you, you for our well, friendship, and, and thank you for everything you do. It's an honor. Assalamu alaikum. Come salam. Peace.